This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cammy here. This week's episode is a chat with musician, songwriter, DJ, college professor J.D. Sampson. You would know J.D. from La Tigra or the band Men. And hey, you know what else? I have a book coming out in March, and I would love it. It would help me so much if you pre-ordered it. You go to saveyourselfbook.com. You can order it today. The more pre-orders come in, that helps qualify me for the New York Times bestseller list. So it's something I am certain you're going to want to buy anyway. Why not do it right now? Head to saveyourselfbook.com, grab a copy of Save Yourself. It is about coming out, having an eating disorder, dating the captain of the football team, basically my early life. Bye, little sweeties. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still folks introduce themselves on the podcast. Will you introduce yourself? Yeah, hi. This is J.D. Sampson. I'm a musician, artist, DJ, and teacher. Oh, did I know that last one? Do I know you're a teacher? I don't think so. What do you teach? I don't know. It's kind of a new thing. Okay. I teach at NYU um, in the Clive Davis Institute of Recorded Music. Wow. Wow. What classes do you teach? This semester, I have five classes. Two of them are production classes. Two of them are performance classes. And one of them is kind of a class about your trajectory as an artist. Wow. Honestly. The ups and downs. I feel like that is an amazing, that final one is like an amazing one um, for you specifically to teach, obviously we don't know each other, but just from the out from an outside perspective, I'm like I could see that being a class that you should teach. Yeah, it's kind of about how we have to be DIY DIY and diversify what we do in mm-hmm. order to be successful, cobble together enough money to survive. Yes, because you've had a bunch of different phases of your career and sort of. And also in like a some a lot of it in like almost like a pre-internet way. Like you were doing what folks are kind of doing now, which is like a jack of all trades thing a little bit. But but you were doing yeah. that maybe when it was more like an like a straight up artist. Like what would that do you do you know what I'm getting yeah. at? Where it's like now well, I think everybody has many hats that they wear. Yes. I mean I think I grew up, you know as a punk rocker, and that meant, like, having this DIY attitude about pretty much everything, like clothing and um, money and, uh, you know, community building and also just teaching yourself how to make art and write stories and play instruments. So I didn't, like, formally learn how to do any of that stuff. Uh yeah, and it's all just been about uh, other people, friends, uh, peers teaching me things and teaching myself. So, so how does it feel to then teach a class when you didn't have, or teach many classes when you didn't have this sort of formal education in these areas? Because so many students right now, so many people, you know, ranging in age from 18 to 21, are really caught up in competition and in really fear of putting things out there because there's there's like so much content in the world. Oh wow! So so much of it is about you know self reflection and uh, building up your authenticity and kind of um, following the path that is that you feel most passionate about. So a lot of it is like about uh, you know self care. Wow, that is an amazing answer. You're yeah. You're teaching folks to 
try to understand who they are as opposed to what is happening in this like very fast moving cycle that it's, it seems impossible to keep up. And that's because it is impossible to keep up because the point isn't to keep up, it's to be yourself. Right. And like we all think, oh, I have to make, if I want to make pop music, then I have to make music that sounds like this. But pop music is just popular music and it becomes popular because of the space that we're in culturally and, um, you know, the, when it just, it's, it's all about trends and, and, um, those trends are created by people that are innovating the art form basically. So it's all about just creating work that is meaningful to you. What do your students call you? Do they call you? JD. They call you JD. Yeah. I kind of felt like that was probably true. (laughs) Yeah. Do you feel like that? Do you feel like they have an awareness of your your career and things you've done? Or do you build in a time to kind of talk about what you've done? In some classes, I build in time to talk about what I've done, mostly because it's relevant to what we're discussing or so that they have some, you know, framework um, to understand where I'm coming from. Yeah. But then other classes, it just kind of comes in when it comes in and people ask me questions or whatever. Yeah. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. Ah, yes. Yeah. And what was it like growing up in Cleveland? (laughs) Um, You know, it was a mixed bag. My parents were very different from each other. Um, They grew up in... I don't know. I I always say like I grew up in like a multi-class household. So I had many different varying um, ideals instilled upon me. Mm. And um, so in a lot of ways that led to like a fragmented um, childhood. But in other ways, I feel like I was able to pick and choose between, you know, what I wanted to keep with me as an adult. What classes were they from? Like where were they both from Cleveland? No, my dad grew up in upstate New York. He's on a farm. And my mother grew up like middle class in Cleveland. And she was Jewish. And my dad was not. So that was just like a cultural difference too. And the farm, that felt like it was that that person was, they were like just making it off of farming? Like that's what their income was? Yeah. At some points my 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 dad's dad was in the army and my dad's mom i believe was a nurse at one point but um you know they they raised animals my dad was like in 4H and he was a sheep shearer and he also like a top sheep shearer when he was a kid <laughs> and a square dance caller you know it's just like a different world than where my mom was from i guess and I think he tried to instill upon me, like, values surrounding nature and the earth and animals and kind of kindness and stuff like that. That's interesting. My folks are from—my my parents are like a city mouse, country mouse couple. Yeah. Where, like, my dad grew up um, in a neighborhood that directly butts up against Chicago. It's called Cicero. And— it was like all Italian at the time and it was where folks moved after they like left a little Italy. So it was like super Italian, 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 Italian. And then my mom is from um, like a part of Ohio that's in essentially Appalachia. It's like right down further, further south, other side of the state, like right across from West Virginia. Um, right. And I feel like they're what has sort of happened in their relationship is that I only know my mom living in, we used to go back to where she's from all the time growing up, but I only know her living in like a middle, upper middle class suburb. Like I only Mm -hmm. know her, I don't know her with an accent like that with Mm -hmm. like a Southern accent, but everyone in the town where she's from had one. So I'm sure that there was a time when she (laughs) had that. Um, I don't know her like, uh, yeah, because her high school had, like, an agricultural track that you could go on. Like, I don't know. I just know our family visiting that as if it was, like, this satellite to all of our lives. But it right. was, you know, that's where she's from. I, it's very easy for me still to forget that, especially yeah. because they've lived now in the same house for 
like 35 years. And I just think of them as being like from that place. Totally. Well, I don't think it would have, I don't think I would think as much of it as I do, but my father ended up kind of going back to that world. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's that's why I it, it it feels very highlighted to me at this point in my life. Yeah. Like yeah. He, he lives on a farm. He lives in a really small town in Ohio. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Do you go visit him there? Not really. I have. You have. Not really. Not really. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm wondering what the folks in small town Ohio have to say about your whole thing, your whole entire <laughs> presentation and vibe. about me. Period. Yes, yeah. about you. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Well, so you. When did you find music? Talk to me about that. Uh, it's a really interesting kind of story because as a kid, I was like obsessed with pop music, and I remember singing to my clock radio all night long, and my sister screaming at me through the vent. Um, our rooms were attached <laughs> by a heating vent. and she Like to turn like, it down? Yeah. Or no, like, to stop to singing. singing. She Got was it. like, shut up. Perfect. Like, you know, just memories of that. And you're like, when I play um, music, it gets a, when I, when I make music, it gets a rise out of people. I see, I see like an early. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I guess I hadn't thought of it that way. Um and I was always, like, involved in school plays and interested in, um, I don't know, I, I there, was the, there was this video of me in first grade as part of the choir, and everyone's standing there singing, and I'm, like, going back and forth, like, dancing, basically, and I can't stop. It's, like, in my body, and it's just funny to watch how music was such, it just, like, I was possessed by it, basically, and um, that's kind of where I see um myself still like I'm totally my I'm like physically possessed when I'm around music but interestingly <laughs> enough I wasn't allowed to play music when I was a kid uh my sister played the flute and she was really bad at it and my parents were like you cannot she was older than me so when it came uh my turn to choose what instrument to play I wanted to play the saxophone or the drums, and they said, no way, Jose. Man, your you sister ruined music? What the heck? Yeah, she ruined music. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I played the saxophone yeah. when I was like oh. maybe the age you're talking about, and I will tell you, it did not stick. So, okay. So, okay. you know, like you could have dabbled. Yeah, yeah, I wish I could. <laughs> Honestly, I can't believe that I didn't stick with Wouldn't that be, that would be so cool. I would, that would be eye open for myself. I was just like, going to say that. You know what I mean? Fuck. Yeah. But Start a show. That just sounds like a dream come true. I, I'm, yeah. I feel ashamed of. Well, you should, maybe you could go back. That feels like, I feel like music is one of those things where it's hard to start as an adult. It's like, lang it is language. So yeah. it's in that category of things. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean I won't try. It's I not impossible. I recently had my mom ship my, my my parents were storing like my guitar at their house, yeah. and I asked my mom if she would ship it. So then she did. So anyway, guitar into yeah. saxophone into who knows what's next. Yeah, but you joined the choir, oboe. Um, yeah. yeah, I joined the choir, and that was my thing. And um, I also took classical guitar lessons when I was like sixteen because. I really felt like I wanted to be a lesbian folk singer. <laughs> and um, I had a classical guitar that my dad bought at a flea market. And so I went to take lessons from this weird guy, and I was just thinking about him yesterday. I wonder where he is now. Um, anyways, I learned how to play classical guitar. I was not that great at it, but I pushed along. And then I ended up kind of becoming a part of the punk scene and not playing instruments, but just like my community was all about music and community through music. Yeah. I want to scoot back just a little bit and ask you yeah. a couple questions about like, so when you were in choir, yeah, what kind of school were you at? Public school. Public school. What did you, what did yeah. you look like at the time? <laughs> um, well, I came out when I was 15 and at that point I think I had like a 
bob with an undercut, and I played field hockey. That was, like, the big thing. I almost went to college for field hockey. Um, I was very into wearing thrift store clothes of all sizes and shapes <laughs> that didn't fit me. Uh, what yeah. year is this? Like, just generally? 1993, I think. When you came out when you were 15 and you're yeah. wearing thrift store clothing and having an undercut and all this stuff, what was the, yeah. how were folks around you treating you at that time? Um, I went to the same school from nursery school till I graduated and my class was only like 120 students. So everyone knew each other really well. And I always kind of start by saying that because I think that there was like a general like, I don't know, kind of an inherent support system there. Um, when I came out, people maybe weren't very surprised, but also were pr fairly supportive. And that was a shock to me. I think mostly me. Um, <laughs> I, and maybe my parents. But it was, there was this sense of, um, like, you know, I kind of, judged everyone else for, for judging me before they did. So I left all my friends and, like, started hanging out with people at other schools and kind of was like, I hate the popular kids, all this stuff. And they really actually supported me a lot. And I think about how we tend to do that sometimes, just, like, rebel against um, people before they actually uh, – condemn us <laughs> sure um yeah but so, i mean i yeah. i get that too i mean i absolutely that's uh i've i've done that even i've done that like recently i've done that like as an adult you know like we still yeah. do that or whatever i still yeah. do that but i i think that i mean one thing that's true about that is that like there are genuine safety issues there are genuine there's genuine messaging coming in it's very mm -hmm. hard to know how to navigate the world when, like, this information or this face or this haircut or whatever can mm -hmm. um, can get you in, like, a dire situation. Just by existence, you can get into a dire situation. It's really hard to know right. when to let folks in and, and when to not. I mean, I, I don't—do do you yeah. have any— do you have any thoughts on that? Like, because because you're looking back at yourself, you're like, I'm rejecting, I rejected them first, but mm -hmm. I don't blame you, I guess is what I'm saying. I could see why you would do that. And how do you yeah, operate in sure. this area now in your life? Because I'm still well, struggling with this, trying to yeah. figure out. I mean, I think I've done a lot of work to, you know, turn inward instead of outward mm -hmm. um, in all of my, you know, struggles or something. Um I, you know, really try to keep, like, my side of the street clean and uh, realize that, like, I can't really control other people's reactions. Um, totally. But it's it's complicated. Like, I have a complicated gender identity, and I realize that um, not only just when I go home to Ohio, but even here in New York City. Mm -hmm. You know, I am misgendered often. I identify as female. Um, but appear to some as, you know, either trans or male, <laughs> whatever, trans male or cis male. Yeah. And um, so that's always complicated for me. And I've, I've really adjusted to a place where I don't speak very much in public. And wow. it, yeah, it's very odd. So... I've, it I has you, kind of, yeah, it has made me into a more shy person than I actually am. And um, that has been like an interesting thing to, to think about as I, you know, turn 40. Wow. That's, I, I really love that answer because I absolutely agree with you that letting go of other, of needing other people's acceptance is really important. Um, but I was just in you know, where I flew back from before we're having this conversation was Raleigh, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And I've performed in North Carolina a lot, but very rarely at comedy clubs because I like it's usually like a rock club or a theater. Um, and a comedy club has just a different 
inherent audience. Like it's a more wide swath of people. Mm -hmm. Like the folks that are coming to a theater, they're coming to see you. The folks that are coming to a comedy club, it might be people that are just coming to see like comedy. And I had this weird, I had these experiences this weekend where when I talked about the president, Mm -hmm. I like felt, um, I actually felt unsafe on stage. Mm -hmm. And I, so I stopped talking about it in such, talking about him in such specific details um, and just sort of, well, like I talked about how after the first show, a young man came up to me and said, you really offended my stepfather with what you said about the president. Thank you. <laughs> Which is like amazing. Um, but I was like, you go offend your stepfather about the president. Wonderful- yeah, did he have that wonderful comic delivery? Yeah, he did have like yeah. a little bit of a pause. He did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, I just was trying to, I was trying to think about it this weekend. I was thinking, you know, if I was like a straight dude comic that has the same political beliefs that I do, I don't know that I would feel as unsafe saying them in this space because it's like my safety is a little bit more guaranteed. Like my Mm -hmm. opinions don't necessarily lend themselves to action from someone else or if, if I'm that person. Whereas like me up there, I was like, I don't know. It was a wonder. It was like a great club. I had a great time. Mm-hmm. And there's like a little tinge of danger to the whole experience. So I'm thinking about you saying that you're just like more quiet in public. Oh, yeah. Just yeah. to like not draw attention. Well, I think, you know, when I speak, it genders me. And um, that is something that is always complicated because when somebody says like, what can I get you, sir? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, a slice of plain pizza or something yeah. you know then they're like whoa and then there's this discomfort that we're sharing and um yes i know the i know the moment you're speaking of and i feel often feel guilty about that discomfort when in actuality one may think you're an activist you're you know you've been doing this so long <laughs> you you know that like he should feel bad um well, maybe he does, but I also feel badly for creating this like discomfort. And um and uh so yeah, like I go about my day trying desperately to be silent. Um and it's funny like as you're speaking about f- feeling unsafe, you know, in crowds, I think that all of my projects have been in a certain way preaching to the choir Um, Mm. we've been surrounded, we've been, like, lucky to be surrounded by our community at every step of the way. And I think that this, like, um, was really great because it created a space that wasn't there before, and it created this awesome way for us to let go um, in fun, in aggression, in anger, and also, you know, to sweat together in a room with other bodies like ours, you know? And that was this beautiful experience. But when we tried to take that outside, you know, of that community, it there was pushback. And whether that was from the audience directly or interviews or, um, you know, even just managers saying, like, I thought that we would be able to push through, but, like, the world isn't ready for it, you know? Wow. Uh, Yeah, like all of those things have have kind of added to this idea that I'm not really sure that I want to push what I do to another community. (laughs) Wow, I mean, (laughs) I I have to say, like, I really appreciate your candor here because I think, you know, I think of you as like a a community leader, and I, I think it's really important to hear about the way that that has affected you. You know, I I think it would be one thing to, I don't know. I just think so often as queer folks were um, sort of expected to like uh, not talk about the side effects of the work or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I just, it's like cool to hear from you that it has affected mm-hmm. you. I'm not, I'm not happy that this is the case, yeah. but I appreciate your honesty about it. 
Well, yeah. I mean, it's affected me in so many ways. Yes. Well, we could get way deeper. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's. Yeah. When you were talking about interviews, what talk to yeah. me about that. You were saying that, you know, that that's like a stumbling block in interviews. Yeah. What's an example? Like, what's the thing that... How do people, just, talk, how do people yeah. talk to you about your facial hair that are not in the community? You know, I just remember this one time in, like, Austria doing this, like, junkety tile thing type of thing where you basically have like five hours with a million interviewers asking you the same questions, which I'm sure you've done before. And it um, this one time I remember saying like, why are you trying to be a man? Why do you try to look like a man? And just being asked that like face to face was just so extreme. And it's definitely the thing I turned to in my mind when you asked me this question. Um, because in the moment, I felt like I didn't have an answer. And um, I felt so supported by my bandmates at the time. Like, I remember Johanna kind of answering the question for me. And to have that kind of support was really integral to my experience um, in those kind of spaces and in general with that band. And, yeah, so I think that's, like, I don't know if they. What did your Johanna question, like, say? If you can, like, I don't even vaguely remember. summarize. Like, what would have been the talking point? I mean, I feel like it's like, yeah. Is it like, is it like, why do you think this looks like a man? Like, is that like the talking point, or is it like? No, I think she was more like, you don't have the right to ask that question. Like, it was, it yeah. was kind of just shutting down, not even answering it. Great, um, sure. Which is why she's so amazing, <laughs> but. um yeah, it's funny that you bring up the facial hair thing because it's like nobody asks me about it so specifically. Really? They're, yeah, it's very it's very strange. And just recently I did an interview for The Guardian um, in for an interview that was about women and facial hair. And I was like, oh, my gosh, yes, finally, I get to talk about facial hair. <laughs> Because it's so rare that people yeah. ask me questions about it, but I think it is really, yeah, a huge part of my identity. Well, I'd love to ask you some questions about it. If you sure, when did you <laughs> when did when did yeah. you start growing facial hair? That's I a remember question. in seventh grade. Somebody, a boy in my class who I had known since nursery school, was like, you you have a mustache. And I, I remember it was an earth science class. I remember exactly what, you know, what I was looking at. I'm a visual thinker. I remember how it felt. And I think it was then that I started bleaching my mustache. Well, first of all, what were you looking at and how did it feel? <laughs> I remember he was like a little bit taller than me and I looked out the window immediately and it was like to my oh right. Oh my gosh, sure. Uh, okay, <laughs> yes. And, and how um, did it feel? And we were standing, I remember that. Um, I just remember like my belly getting like hot and kind of like all my, and like uh, my throat kind of clamping <laughs> sure and you started bleaching yeah, you started yeah bleaching. I started bleaching my mustache at that point because that was what my mom and my sister did and I did that until college I didn't really like see another option I wasn't interested in like removing it I guess but that was that was my can I ask you a question choice. about your mom and your sister yeah. before mm -hmm. before this person said this to you mm -hmm. did you notice that those people like, did you notice that they – was it something that you were aware of, like, these two people bleach their mustaches? Or was that, like, as a reaction – like, I guess I guess what I'm wondering is, this person says this to you, is this, like, whoa, facial hair exists? Like, is that, like, <laughs> the realization? Like, did you know that was on your upper lip? Did you know your, that was in your family? Or was it all a surprise? That's a very interesting question. I, I must have known it was there. I must have looked in the mirror you know, every day of my life, but I did not see it as something I worried about or felt strange about. 
I noticed only on my sister and my mother because they would like walk around with bleach. I was on t- their face. that's exactly <laughs> what I was wondering because I like know that process because yeah. I I also I didn't bleach my I don't have a lot of hair in well that's not true I have some hair in my upper lip but I have like my most of my facial hair that that uh, is non normative or whatever <laughs> is I have like I have like. Um, real sideburns you know like and I always have like since I was in high school and I remember when I had like longer hair if I would like put it in a ponytail or something in high school it was like definitely something my friends talked to me about like you've got like sideburns and I um I tried a lot of different options to try to figure out what to do with them like bleaching or like nairing them which is like very painful on the face um or like just smelly. cutting them. Yeah, super smelly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cutting them with scissors. And now, um, now that I have short hair, it like they actually look kind of and they looked when I had like a asymmetrical hair asymmetrical haircut, it like looked right. It's like mm-hmm. I just it's like a, it's actually like my <laughs> I wasn't like in final form yet. Like that's the yeah. that's the problem. It wasn't that I had too much facial hair, it's that they weren't like being utilized. For their greatest yeah. skill. Well, um, we both realized that, you know, the goddess gave us these yeah, exactly. <laughs> non-normative hair patterns yeah, exactly. for a reason. Because we look best that way. Yes. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. So you got to college. What changed? What changed in terms of um, bleaching? It was a very specific conversation. I was friends with someone named Kate Hardy, who you may know. I don't know. She is an artist and video maker, and zine maker, and um, she's still a friend of mine. And she went to Smith College, and I was visiting her, and she said, why don't you just let it grow? It would be, it's so hot, or something like that. And um, I just stopped right then, right then and there. It is a dream come true that the setting of that story is Smith College. (laughs) Just have to say... It has to be. It has even to if it be. Wasn't, even if it wasn't true, I would say that. You know, Smith, honestly, <laughs> I played rugby in college, but I went to like, I went to Boston College. So the, the, um, the rugby team wasn't like so, we played Smith. We yes. played Smith. Smith. Smith was like in our league or whatever. And the women from Smith were like, it was the first time I'd actually seen, um, Lake hair. Yeah. Like I just had not seen that before. Wow. That I, had, I had not seen leg hair leg hair grown out on no one women. on your rugby team? How is that possible? That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> well, because it was like not such a butch because it was still a really preppy school that expected a certain thing. And uh like the rugby team wasn't even wasn't even like gay. It was yeah. like we were supposed to hang out with the male rugby team. There was oh. first of all, there were like no out queer people. You couldn't be out at BC. You could be kicked out of school. So there were definitely no like there was no gender fuckage or like non-binary stuff going on. It was what literally. What year was this? I graduated in two thousand and four. This is from now. You know what I mean? Like this is like from Whoa. the modern era, right? Yeah. But it was wild because we would be paired with the men's rugby team for social events, but but they did not give one fuck about hanging out with us. And we also did not care. Like it would be literally, we would have like a house party and the one rugby team would be on right. one floor and the other rugby team would be on the other floor. But it's like, we're having like a group party for the, for the two teams coming out with us. Yeah. We hang out together. And it's like, no, we're not on the same floor of the house. So we're wow. definitely not. But yeah, the Smith the Smith Smith team had every, leg hair. Had so, like <laughs> so much leg hair, so much leg hair. I just remember I was like affected by it because you also rugby. You're like down in it. Yeah, totally. That leg hair is right on your face. That leg hair goes right on your sideburn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's interesting because in field hockey, like that, there were all the the like women's private school teams. They had leg hair. They had butches. I went to very Catholic schooling my whole yeah. life. And I think that yeah. Catholicism does 
really does its job in terms of trying to get uniformity amongst people. Fear. Yes. That that fear is like, congratulations, you did it. That's really, it's yeah. full. It's full fear. That's <laughs> all the way. It's full fear ahead. Yeah, full fear ahead. <laughs> so when you started, when you started, uh, you went back, you're like not bleaching it. Yeah. Where were you at school? You were at school? Sarah Lawrence. Again, what yeah. a perfect setting. It was. It was great. I've been to that campus. I had an ex who was getting her master's there. Um, what were what was people's reactions? What were, what did people say? Nothing. It was like totally fine. Um, I also, you know, when I was seventeen and living at home, I heard about this amazing place. I was from Cleveland. Cleveland, so in Michigan, and, you know, learned that I could, that, that, that it was a free place for all women to have facial hair and be whatever gender they wanted to be. And I got a ride from a ride board and went to this festival, which was the Michigan Women's Music Festival. And um, I saw people like me there. So I learned a lot about the potential and possibility of living a life with facial hair and identifying as a woman. So that was a very formative experience for me and my expression of my gender. So I would say that, you know, that was really the turning point for me over everything else. That's awesome. You know, you are that person for a lot of people. You're you're the hey, you are the Michigan Women's Festival. <laughs> oh, don't say that. Um, I know. I know. That's that, a, it's a, I yeah. know. I understand. It's fully come all the way around, and now it's quasi it's an insult. Vi- yes. Yeah. Well, well yeah. it's a very complex, dicey. Yeah, conversation, and it is a complex um, conversation. You can email me about it if you want to talk about it. Okay, great. We'll talk about it only <laughs> via email, but not via the phone. Yeah. <laughs> No, the phone is great too, but this isn't a phone. Is this a phone? Um, Wait, are we on the phone? I think technically this is over the phone. How does anything work? I can't believe you called me out because the answer is I have no fucking idea. Are we on the phone? I don't know. We might be on I'm the in phone. A, I'm in the studio with headphones. Yeah, on. yeah. I mean, me too, but I think we're technically right. on the phone. Or Whoa, we're on the internet, but is that the phone? I honestly don't know. All I can that's see fucking is weird. I can just see I can, <laughs> I can just see a, uh, a so-so hand going in the background behind you. <laughs> this is sort of the phone. Well, I don't know how anything works. Okay. Um, well, okay. I want to ask you about. Okay, so the fact that you're taking. Talk to me about. I feel like we skipped the transition between I'm in a choir to I. <laughs> I'm, I'm a, a musician. Yeah, I'm like a I'm like a punk rock music star. This is how the story so, goes. Yeah. It, you know, it's it's I can tell it in a very quick way, which is that at college, I started booking shows because I run, ran the coffee house at our college, which was where all of the punk shows took place, and I became very engaged in the queer punk and indie scene and uh, I guess became a promoter. Uh, I was studying film, experimental film, and was very deep into this idea of projection and started making these films that actually weren't projected but were paintings on the wall. Um, And that was kind of my senior thesis. And as a senior, I became close with Sadie Benning, and who was in La Tigra, and um, Johanna and Kathleen I met, like, peripherally, um, or I knew peripherally. And they were going on tour in April of my senior year and asked me to go with them to be the projectionist. And I said yes and ended up doing independent study for my second semester, went on tour with them as their projectionist, and at the end of the tour... Kathleen was like, you're in the band now. And basically I said, <laughs> okay, 
And that was the beginning wow. of the rest of my life. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Did you uh did you did you graduate that that tour you did your independent study? You like I actually were able to you did, didn't? I did. You did. How the fuck I, did you pull I that off? I still have dreams that's that that are like I did not graduate. That seems impossible. Did I graduate? Did I actually graduate? Yeah, I did. I did. I went on tour and I graduated. You know what though? I will say this. I had to have I had to have eye surgery my my junior year. Um and missed a ton of class because of that. And I don't know if it's just that then my professors felt bad for me or if I just was doing a lot of find myself fucking around because I still did, I still completed all of my courses. <laughs> like I had to major eye surgery and still finish that junior year. So I guess maybe anything's possible. You can, f- you can fully go on tour with a band and complete your classes, I guess. I don't know. I guess. Well, I kind of tried to like, you know, work it out with each professor in a different way. And some of them were like, this is totally along the lines of what we're, what you're doing for professionally. So this is fine. Like I have. That actually makes sense. That's like, I I can't, I just feel, I feel amazed that your professors were uh, looking at this so logically. Isn't yeah. that great? <laughs> like it, it was. Well, I mean, we should think of school as like professional development, you know, and if we have opportunities with within that. Yeah. I don't know. I feel that way about my students at least. You're encouraging them to say, look, if anyone invites you on a really cool – were you guys in a – were you in a van? Were you touring yeah, in a van? Yeah, yeah. It was totally punk rock. We were on tour with The Need. It wasn't – it was three weeks. It wasn't like – Huge, and it was the first Latigra tour, so it was like. But I can't even imagine DIY that feeling. spaces. What I can't even imagine that feeling. Actually, I can imagine I've, that feeling because I've had that. Not it wasn't with Latigra, but I've had the experience yeah. of suddenly I'm swept into a van yes. and a life, and this is what I'm doing yes. now, and how amazing that yeah. is. Yeah, and you know. I love working. I had like four jobs when I was in college and with La Tigra on that specific, in general, I would say like I had specific jobs and I loved it. I loved packing the van. <laughs> I loved setting up the projector and the video stuff. I love like the tech part of it. And uh, yeah, it just felt good to be part of a machine that was like, mm-hmm. you know, creating like a feminist space and dialogue it was it just felt like a dream come true yeah so how did your life change or what did your life become suddenly you're in this whole scene and you know you talked about the spaces that were created and I mean Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's just like so much energy I'm sure all the people in the are becoming like jazzed to see you, you know, like what does that feel like at that age, especially? Well, I remember coming back from the tour and like the internet was kind of this private message board space. And I didn't have a computer until way after college. So I had to go to the library and I remember there was like, someone sent me an email with a link um, to this message board called Chainsaw, which was part of this uh, queer punk record label. And there was, like, this thread about how ugly I was. Oh, my God. And it was so heartbreaking to me because it was, it was like, I had just experienced this really life-affirming uh, tour, and uh, my life was, like, about to be, you know, as you said, like, I just kind of fell into this amazing tra- trajectory and roller coaster um ride that that at the time felt really amazing and um important um but to be for that to be kind of butted up against like already this internet um i don't know like criticism was was really hard for me and i and i i remember that moment really specifically too because like the mustache moment it felt like 
something I didn't didn't realize was going to happen or or something I was unprepared for. And um yeah, I had f- been feeling very confident, so it was it was I struggled with it. Um and it and it, it there was more to come in my life. <laughs> uh, you mean like, on this topic? Yeah, I think I think, you know, as anyone who's in the public eye at all, um, we come up against like criticism and controversy and many much of it happens over the internet nowadays. Um and Latira did exist in a time when the internet was very um different than it is now. You know, we didn't have as much access to it, not on our phones, obviously. And um, so we were able to kind of like say controversial things, um, be completely punk and radical in a way that I'm not sure people can now. Um, But yeah, we did still receive criticism and I still did it uh, independently of La Tigra. Um, and have and do and um, that's that's been a very interesting part about the journey that I've taken since then I guess right well um, I, th- I yeah. think some of that is I mean I will say for me um, I do still feel like sometimes a live space like a a live performance space can um, allow for you can tell somebody's tone yeah, you can tell totally. somebody's level of playfulness. You can tell somebody's mm-hmm. like how much they're considering what they're saying, whether it's off the cuff. That just it's all it just all reads very differently live. And I right. feel very grateful um, right now that I do get to right. do stand up and have a huge live outlet because I yeah everything else is it is really difficult to figure out what's the thing that I know I stand behind you know what I mean but but in the room it's not about that it's about Mm -hmm. what's in what's feeding this moment and I think that Mm -hmm. like that that's actually sometimes what's happening on the internet people are going what's feeding this moment but then it lives forever and the moment shifts and then it the meaning shifts and it it becomes really complicated yeah Um, but when you're talking about criticism um, are you talking about of your physical self? Are you talking about of the way that you've operated? What are you talking about specifically? And or yeah, I mean, or just generally? I mean, I think that yeah, like coming back from that first tour and seeing that stuff really was like a very interesting. Um, yeah, that's awful, by the way. Yeah, I hate that. It story. was hard. I mean, and it was from it was from my very specific tiny community at the time. Um, yeah, that's awful. And so that felt especially bad but it was it was kind of a really interesting like foreshadow of what was to come because my bandmates were so supportive and actually um you know they were so protective of me and I'm so grateful to that and then also like it they it then projected me like I don't know it was like that insecurity around that moment like pushed me to actually be more uh, forceful with my own visibility as like a masculine of center female identified person. Then you're like putting on a calendar from there? Yeah. Which you <laughs> and, actually um, did, yes. <laughs> I felt that I really needed to become like an activist for, you know, mm-hmm. butch, quote unquote butch visibility. And um, yeah, put out a calendar, you know, really took on this, like, sex symbol role in the project. And um, I think in a lot of ways it it did help a lot of people. Um, also, in hindsight, it challenged me a lot um, just in terms of, like, fulfilling that role for the rest of my life. I was like, wait, I don't want to be that forever. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, sure. I, I, I mean, you know, yeah. I actually... Um, that's funny. I mean, I, I'm, I, when you were saying this story, I'm like, but I don't get it. You're like a, I don't get it. You're like a sex symbol. Like that's literally what I was thinking in my mind. You're that's like what you, so then knowing that it's all really chosen, of course it is because I honestly like made the same choice. I literally have an album that's called same sex symbol. Like I, you know, I put out a calendar that's, that's, that was called butch ups. Like I sort of understand all these moves in like a parallel way. I think, 
we look really different. Um, and our, our yeah. presentation is not the same, but like in terms of just carving out space and being like, look upon this, you know? Um, mm-hmm. but that is, well, for me, it's been like complicated in a couple different ways. Like, um, oh, it turns out I still have to age. Yeah. And like, we don't necessarily have like, I mean, we don't have models for like young masculine of center people, except for like a couple, but we certainly mm-hmm. don't have models for like what is supposed to happen to us. You know, there's no like mm-hmm. cover. I mean, like Brad Pitt's on the cover of GQ right now that I just saw in the airport. Mm-hmm. It's literally like, I think it's like the timelessness of Brad Pitt or something like that's literally <laughs> like men just get better. Like that's honestly what it says or whatever, right? you know, but then like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I don't know like how long I'm supposed to be trying to be sexy. Like, is this now? Am I like? Yeah. Am I like an uncle? Am I like a dad? Am I a mom? <laughs> like, what? It, what am? What is the? Am I too young for all of that? Like, am I? I just feel like yeah. I have no idea. I knew. I knew what I wanted to do ten years ago, and now at this point, yeah. I'm like, oh, I don't actually know what I want to do right now with in this area. Am I soft and squishy? Am I, am I hard? What am I, what am I? Like, I just feel like I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it doesn't, I guess, you know, for me, for, I can only speak for myself and say that there was a certain point in which I had to question like how my masculinity, masculinity was presenting itself and how I was being toxic myself. Totally. um, Yes, of course. (laughs) And so I think I had to, like, you know, as we spoke in the beginning, like, rebel against, like, my own fans in this way. And there was a moment where I was just, like, angry that my community made me a sex symbol. And I had to really look at my own responsibility in making myself a sex symbol. Sure. Like, i.e. making a calendar and, you know, singing songs about sex. Um, But I did feel like at the time I was, like, donating my body to the community or something, like, donating it to science. Like, I was like, sure, this is for a larger purpose. But, like, now that I'm 41, I'm like, was I actually, did I just want that attention because it meant that I was wanted and needed and and um, loved? And, you know, so I've done a lot of work in trying to understand, like, what that was all about. And it can be both. It can be, yes, you know, that there was, you know. But... I really try to also, like, initiate this idea that, like, what I quote-unquote, like, created was not something that was made by me. It was the audience and my interaction and the way that we saw each other because I was looking out there and seeing a bunch of, like, butch and non-binary people. Mm -hmm. And they were looking up at me and seeing that, so seeing the same thing. So it was like I wouldn't have been up there if they weren't in the audience. And yeah. um, it was really just the right time for us to engage in that kind of conversation. Absolutely. You know? I mean, I, I also think um, – I think actually we're kind of coming back to the same point about the like in-person thing versus like yeah. things – you know, staying over time. I do think things live in a moment. I mean, I can, I think I can think of an example on my end and in my work that, that feels adjacent to this. Like when I first started doing stand up, it so many of the com like there were, there were like no out non-binary comics that I knew there were, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess maybe Ian Harvey was working as, as a trans comic, but like, I don't even think he was like fully in my purview or whatever. There were a few queer comics. And for me to get up on stage, like I would be following 20 guys who had just used the microphone as a penis. Like I would like literally like they're like the microphone is their penis. (laughs) And then they hand it to me and I have to put it on my mouth, you know, and it's just like I, I, I thought about that. I would think about that every time. And so like I would like make fun of dick jokes or make fun of the idea that somebody has a dick and then talk about like, this is the lesbian perspective, which means no dicks. And it literally had to be pointed out to me by a member of my own community. Like, hey, you know, um, trans women 
might feel really fucked up by this. And also, I mean, it was the trans woman that said this to me. I feel really fucked up mm. by this. And mm. she said it in a way that was like very personal. And I, I felt like, holy shit, I didn't even, I was, I was responding to this one thing and didn't think about the way in which that response creates ripples down this way, you know? So it's mm-hmm. like the things that, the like lines that we draw in the sand you know, the waves come and those lines move around. And it mm-hmm. just is, it's, I think, a, a big part of, like, the the experience of being a queer artist is is knowing that, like, you made that thing in this time. Yeah. And now it's time for a different thing. You know, when totally. I hear people talk about PC culture, I'm like, mm-hmm. what do you think we've been doing? We have yeah. been, like, more patrolled and more evolved. Like, I, I feel like I have to evolve constantly on my word choice and on my mm-hmm. topics. Totally. And that's fine because it, because I want to, I want to be, yeah, making good art. But it's yeah. it's not, it's not one static thing that lives forever. For sure. I mean, we we live our lives in community, and much of that community, as we know it, being in a similar age group, was about taking up physical space together. And um, nowadays, there's less of that, and mm, right. more of more more space is taken up via the internet. Right. And, like, it's not something I am hating on, but it's just a big difference, and it's a big shift for myself and my generation, our generation, to to hold. And um, even, like, within the scope of this interview, I've been like, oh, no, oh, no. Um, <laughs> did I say that wrong? Did I say that wrong? You know, and, and like, yeah. that, I, I, I hope that, that um, I never offend anybody with my language because sometimes I'm too old to understand or know what vocabulary is shifting or or not, you know, engaging with the right people, I guess, to know. But I also feel like I want to be able to feel strong in my intentions and mm-hmm. and be able to back them up and... Uh, you know, be myself. I mean, what's wild about you saying that is like, you know, in our age group, like we are the, some of the most plugged in people, you know, Mm. like you're literally a professor, you're a college professor, you know, I like work with folks that are younger than me all the time and I'm performing for folks that are younger than me all the time. And so it's, I can't even imagine what this is like for somebody that doesn't have this access, you know, that's our age. And it it just is, this is such a, a big part of what is important to me about doing this podcast is like just trying to mark in time these conversations because this might not always be how everybody feels, but it is mm-hmm. how we feel today. And I feel like we lost a lot of our opportunity to like speak on our own behalf in the past. Mm, and so yeah. much of be- the queer experience is like with this um, – like grainy footage from 40 years ago or totally. whatever that's like, you know. Are you it, kidding? I can't even find videos of La Tigra because it was like pre, it was like on right. those digital cameras that we never uploaded. Right. You know? Yes. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> so it's just, it's, oh my God. I know I have like, I, have, I, I definitely have stand up on multiple, um, formats that will never be used again like there's yeah, not there's not anything to absolutely. play that that does not that yeah. does not that can't go into anything i'm really glad you have that small disc but that has no home there's nowhere for that yeah. to go it's almost like we didn't exist for those years wow there's got to be a name for that those years yeah i don't know what that i don't know what that time is but i'm super interested in talking about it <laughs> uh um i have like so many other questions that i want to well you know what Mm. It might just be time to ask you about a queero. I feel like this this flew by. Um, yeah, I know. I'm like, was this dark? It's okay to be. I don't think it was dark. I think you were just an yeah. honest person. Do you feel? Do you yeah, want to? Me, I'm the new sincerity. That was like, <laughs> I'm I'm the most sincere. I wear my heart on my sleeve. Um. Queero. Yeah, well, you want to shout out a queero person, place, or thing made you feel like you can be who you are today? Linny Breedlove from Tribate um, taught me so much about 
performing as a masculine of center person um, and continues to inspire me with uh, their writing and uh, support of the community. Mm-hmm. So that would be someone for sure. Awesome. Hey, can I ask you what you what do you put in your hair? It looks good as fuck. Oh, whoa. Really? Nothing? Are you kidding me? No. It's funny you say that because, like, my hair cutter is out of, was out of town. And this week I just feel really bad about my hair. Um, <laughs> I use something that's in a green box, a mint green box that she gave me. And I don't know the name of it, but I could email it to you. You bet. So. Great. And it's it's, like, white and creamy. Yeah, it's, you know, it's really important to talk about hair product right at the end. Get it in right at the end. Um, yeah, JD, especially because I don't know the name of it, so it's really exciting. Also that it comes in a box. Yeah, it's like a square box. I can't even, Yeah, I thought, I thought I would know, you know, I'm pretty. They sell it at my salon, which is actually owned by Johanna Fateman from La Tigre. Oh. It's called Seagull, Seagull Salon. Well, Fantastic. Yeah. I'll have to look for this box. Um, JD, it was really awesome to spend some time with you. Thanks for making time today. And Me too, yeah. Yeah, thanks for being on the show. <laughs> <laughs>